sweet of him. Look on the ASA. My gosh. They're all going against the wind. It was basically a cube with inside of sphere where the points of the cube uh, were touching outside of the sphere. States. It's a worldwide phenomenon. That UFO podcast is powered by Zencaster. Zencaster is one of the world's leading platforms for recording and hosting podcasts. Zencaster is a modern web-based solution for high-quality audio and video podcast production. With a full suite of professional tools, Zencaster allows podcasters to quickly and seamlessly record their guests remotely and produce their podcasts in studio quality. Check out the links in the show description to find out more. Support for that UFO podcast is brought to you by Manscaped, who are the best in men's below-the-waist grooming. Manscaped offer precision-engineered tools for your family jewels. Manscaped just launched their fourth-generation trimmer, the Lawnmower 4.0. You heard that right, the 4.0. Join over 2 million men worldwide who trust Manscaped with this exclusive listener offer just for you. 20% off and free worldwide shipping with the code ANDYUFO at manscaped.com. That's 20% off and free worldwide shipping with promo code ANDYUFO. Manscaped engineered the ultimate groin and body trimmer by focusing on intelligent functionality and incredibly comfortable grooming experience. Their fourth generation trimmer features a cutting edge ceramic blade to reduce any close encounters thanks to their advanced skin safe technology. I now feel confident shaving my tic tacs. Get 20% off and free shipping with the code ANDYUFO at manscaped.com. Hi, this is Mark O'Connell and you're listening to That UFO Podcast. Hi everyone and welcome back to That UFO Podcast. It's a news update. This is the Friday the 20th of August we're recording this for with lots to talk about. Dan's joining me for this one again. Dan, how are we? Hello, hello. It's nice to be here again. It is. Dan making one of many appearances for the media today. He's got Fox, CNN, Good Morning America, um, Australian News. He's on some Zimbabwean news channel later and also UCR tonight, aren't you, Dan? UCR tonight, yes. Uh, it's 10 o'clock UK time. I'm not sure what time that translates to on the, the other side of the pond. I mean, to be fair, you're on, that's only going to be relevant if you've downloaded and listened to this almost straight away. That is um, true, yeah. But I guess so, it will be there on the YouTube channel for people to watch if they want to. Yeah. If it's 10pm UK on the 20th of August, you can see Dan on UCR if you go over and listen after this. Actually, I'll allow you to pause this because it's not live. That's fine. Actually, time don't. travel. Yeah, time travel. Um, or 5pm um, Eastern or 2pm Pacific. Look at me with my time zones. Fancy. And the rest of the world are really annoyed now going, all right, okay, so US and UK are the only ones that matter. I'm really sorry I'm not great with the rest of them. I know Australia's nine hours ahead or part of it because that's where some of my family stay. So that's about uh, that's about where I'm at. But <laughs> some, some, quick announce- some quick announcements. Um, for UK-based listeners, um, come and say hello to me in person. Um, this, that's, that's a really bad way of actually announcing this because it's not my thing. Right I'm just going to be there. Yeah, yeah, right now, again, yeah. Um, UFOunidentified.co.uk is having a Minicon 2021 
in Preston on Saturday the 9th of October this year. I mean, I wouldn't announce it for next year. It's a bit, bit early. But yeah, so on the 9th of October, uh, a couple of months, uh, doors are going to open at 2 o'clock. And uh, there will, will be a bar as well, 5 to 10, and a buffet. There's going to be some speakers from the UK, including Philip Kinsella, Dave Hodrian, and Glenn Richardson, talking about UFOs, grazing consciousness, abductions, and sightings in the north, and much, much more as well. Um, you can get early bird tickets just now for only £10, which, you know, that's been a big thing recently, but in-person conference, at £10, get to hear for some UK-based speakers, and it's only a mini-conference, it's kind of snowballed last minute speaking to the organisers, um, but I'm going to go along. It's a couple of hours from where I stay at the Walmer Bridge Village Hall in Preston, so that's going to get announced officially um, later on tonight, early tomorrow. Um, but do you know what? It'd be good for people to go along, get to meet up in person and get to get to hear some interesting speakers and just get out again and see some people face to face. So if you get a chance to come along, I will be there. And I think Graham Rendell from UAP Media is coming along with me as well. I hear um, the first round of drinks are on you and Graham as well. Yeah, Graham is buying the first round of drinks. You're absolutely right. I won't be drinking because I'll be driving, but um, I, I genuinely would like to see some people if you if you want to come along. Um, so that's it. If you go to ufoidentified.co.uk forward slash minicon, you can get the early bird tickets just for £10 just now as well. So check that out. Um, and if you go to at identified UFO on Twitter, you can see some information on that from Ash as well. So please come along and say hello, folks. It will be nice to meet people in person for like the first time like that as well i've still never met dan no it's as far as i'm concerned you're you're a 2d entity in a room to me you are just a chest and shoulders <laughs> that that is it um the only person i've met at all from the whole of the podcast and world so far is uh graham rendell for uh, who we met we met for a coffee a few weeks ago because he lives not too far from us so even that had been too long but it, it was nice to meet up and chat and discuss ufos and and all that kind of stuff as well so please come along if you can um, if you have to travel a little bit, you know, I'm sure it'll be a, an interesting day. Um, see some interesting speakers and then share your thoughts with us as well. That'll be that'll be pretty cool. Um, on that, the next guest on the podcast is going to be remote viewer, clairvoyant and member of the IRVA, the International Remote Viewers Association, Deborah Katz. So get your questions over for Deborah to ufouapam at gmail.com or there's a thread on Patreon you can post on as well. The IRVA have their own conference being held soon uh, in early September. So you can check that out at irva.org. There are also in-person and virtual options available. And again, looking at it very quickly, I'm not affiliated with any of these in any way. I'm just kind of chatting about them. But the, the events themselves are going to have in-person and virtual options, given that one's based over in stateside as well. Um, more guests are going to be announced in due course including Ross Coulthart's much-anticipated appearance. Um, that'll be in a few weeks' time as well. And Ross did assure me that he's going to have, hopefully, uh, some, some more information to share off the back of what he's talked about in previous interviews too. So I'm, I'm looking forward to, to speaking to Ross. Uh, and speaking of Ross Coulthart, the Bob Fish emails uh, that got sent to me seem to have caused a little bit of a stir online, which is interesting. You know, never hyped anything, which is always fun. Um, I sent those off to Joe Mergia, who blogged about it. He, he wrote a really interesting piece on his blog, so thanks to Joe for that. Um, check that out at, at Joe Mergia's blog. You can find that on Twitter or wherever else you, you might follow him. Um, I know he's posting on Facebook and stuff as well. Uh, Bob himself, though, has followed up with some more emails to me, which was really good of him. Um, I'll be posting the 
the, the text later on today on thatufopodcast.com. If you haven't checked out the website, go check it out. And I'll post it on my little blog section, which I've never really posted on very much. Just the, the gist of what Bob shared with me. And also, I'm going to share a little story that Bob gave me in a recent email as well. Just with talking about remote viewing and everything, I thought it was was pretty relevant. Um, and his, his emails have been pretty cool. So the more there was some more information on it as well, but I'll, I'll share those out on the website. So um, Bob spoke to me about uh, about a couple of different things, and he wanted to share this topic, Just uh, and it's got some relevance as well. So in the 1990s, I became involved with two other folks who were looking for a crashed A-12 spy plane, um, and he gives you the CIA article 125 and some details. It crashed in 1967 near Area 51, and the pilot, Walt Ray, was killed. The crash was immediately classified, hushed up, and all fire requests redacted, so no location was known. Tom Mahood and Glenn Campbell, uh, aka Psycho Spy of Area 51 fame, were the other folks. Glenn was a civil engineer. Glenn was a really uh, was really a software analyst and a software analyst, and I was a network security guy. All high tech, left brain analytical folks. We tried everything. Glenn had heard about remote viewing, so we hired Angela Thompson to teach us how to do it. I mean, we're a pretty smart group. A half day effort ought to net as a pile of top secret titanium, he says with a tongue-in-cheek there, folks. On the appointed day, we were in Angela's living room in Las Vegas, sitting on a couch as she went through the remote viewing protocol with us. Tom's wife, Jerry, I realise he's Tom and Jerry, that's that's a great couple's name, um, she was sitting in the kitchen reading a newspaper with zero interest in our quest, more likely disdain. Angela's husband, Paul, was our target. He left the house at 10am. He went to an unknown destination, which he selected after leaving the house so Angela wouldn't know where he was. At the appointed time of 11am, we three started trying to locate him. There was a lot of grunting and groaning going on, almost like all three of us were constipated. I do love Bob Fish's sense of humour. After 15 minutes of this ruckus, Jerry folded her newspaper, set it down on the kitchen table and said, Oh my God, you guys, he's at the beach running around in the sand with some kids. Well, we three techies had a good laugh because there is no beach within half an hour of the house in Las Vegas. Woohoo. So we grunted some more and finally Angela said, looks like we're not getting anywhere so I'll call Paul. She did and he told her where he was. She turned to Jerry and said, what made you think he was at the beach? She said, I clearly felt the toes of his feet running through sand and I heard laughter as if kids were nearby. You know, a beach. It turns out Paul had driven to the nearest grade school parked and walked into the playground area which was covered with sand there were young kids swinging in a swing set and even helped push the merry-go-round for a few of the overjoyed kids tom glenn and i all said oh crap at the same time what we realized is that one's mind absolutely has to be attuned to this moment to be able to reach deeper into a state of pure true consciousness being left-brained intellectuals all of us were monitoring our thoughts, ensuring we followed the protocol, maybe try, trying to beat the other two to the game, while Jerry was relaxed and not concerned at all, and the target information throws uh, flowed through her. So Dan, the reason I share that story is Bob made the point to me that now, herein lies some of the truth about the existence of UFOs who manifest for some people, but not others. If you watch the Navy Tic Tac video and don't get carried away with the pilot's exaltations, it's fairly clear the controller of the Tic Tac is playing with the F-18. It's highly unlikely the Tic Tac was manned, similar to the Foo Fighters of World War II. And after zooming off the pilot's radar screen, it showed up again at the Navy aircraft rendezvous point, miles away and thousands of feet higher, a classified point in the sky we now know all know as the cap point. 
So is it possible some information was telepathically extracted from the F-18 pilot by the Tic Tac commander because it knew exactly where to fly and then hover, waiting for the F-18 pilot to follow up, or conveniently drawing the F-18 pilot's attention away from the master controller UFO that was just underneath the sea surface. We need more sightings like this with human and sensor input data to get a better understanding of the phenomenon. That was my goal when emailing John Podesta. So again, thank you to Bob Fish for following up with a, a nice uh, tale um, with a little bit of context behind it as well. Dan, that's some ideas that we have discussed before on the podcast as well. What are, what are your thoughts on that? It's very interesting that you brought remote viewing into it because it, it certainly touches on the kind of panpsychism and you know consciousness first model that we speak about a lot. Um, and I feel like maybe he's alluding to. Uh, uh, I've I've read this is going to sound outlandish, but I've read in some places that basically that sometimes orbs and some of these craft can be caused by the person viewing them. Um, and so it's interesting that Bob drew that connection between them. Um, and it, to be clear, I, I mean that when people project themselves to a remote view, how that kind of disembodied consciousness looking at the moment looks to the people present um could be a ufo craft or an orb or something like that i've heard that bandied around um so it's it's really interesting connection again it's hard to take stuff from it because we need data as bob said um but very interesting i thought it was pretty cool as well in the story that three of them were all trying to remote view and there was one serious trained remote viewer and a couple of guys attempting it and the one who wasn't trying to remote view but clearly had a connection with her husband is the one who just knew where they were and we've probably all had those kind of moments in the past or you know those kind of moments of deja vu or those kind of strange feelings or little synchronicities where you think of a song and it comes on the radio but you're you're not trying to to control anything or find out anything it just sort of happens and that's that's what happened in that circumstance as well and i've i've talked recently about you know ce5 or uh, human initiated contact for those who like to call it by its its true name or true form um and that you feel sometimes you go out and a very quick whisper up to you know anything out there simple as that and no meditation no half hour humming at the sky just singing kumbaya you know no psychedelics involved and something shoots across the sky or you know it just shows you that just maybe sometimes the right person at the right time it's just the moment it's meant to happen so um, I thought that was a pretty interesting story. And again, from someone like Bob Fish, I really wish he would come on the podcast and talk about it because too. he's now shared a, enough with me via email that uh, I could have spoke to him for half an hour, 45 minutes and, <laughs> and had some good conversation, but he, he doesn't want to. He's made that he's made that pretty clear. And that's not aimed at me. It's just he doesn't want to do interviews or um, interject with the community at the moment in, in any way, which you've got to respect and appreciate. But he's he's given us quite a lot. Speaking not just to myself, but Ross Coulter and now Joe Murgia is reaching back out to as well. Um, so many thanks to Joe Murgia for following that up. I will post again on that ufopodcast.com um, some of the text that's been shared with me from Bob. And uh, Joe done a really good piece on his blog, kind of putting the pieces together of the email he sent, Bob had sent me, why it was important, and some of the background to some stuff within there as well. So um, some some really good work. And uh, Joe Murgia is also transcribing the Making Contact event just now, and he's found some really, really interesting stuff. The, we managed to fix up Joe with a pass, a press pass for the weekend, 
and he's been transcribing and making notes as best he can on the, the interviews and presentations. So he's done some really good work on that as well, folks. So thanks to Joe, UFO Joe. Good work all round. Dan, uh, Tucker Carlson, or um, Tucker Carlson, if I say that in my English accent, um, <laughs> had a Tucker Carlson original. Um, he seems to be doing now. And listen, I'm going to caveat this with, you have to put the politics from this aside. I know he is a very divisive character, especially stateside, where you have your left and right, blue and red, you know, yada, yada, yada. But for, for the rest of us outside the US, the politics doesn't really mean much to us. Um um, I'm not political at all. I've, I've discussed that ad nauseum here on the podcast, especially in the UK. I don't really have any interest in it. But if someone talks about UFOs, rarely does their background, especially politically, put me off what they're saying. I'm, I'm just more interested. They've broached the subject. And uh, well, from a UK point of view, Tucker Carlson is very much a Pierce Morgan type divisive character. Um, and he does play a bit of a jumped up volume turned up character of himself doesn't he you know like stone cold steve austin back in the days of wrestling talked about how when he was on tv he just turned his own personality up to 11 and that seems to be what he does as well some people like it and some people don't but he has put together a do you know what off the bat i'm just going to say it a pretty good piece 23 minutes 55 seconds i think it was on uh, on ufos in some ways dan can i just say this off the bat potentially it was a better piece than the 60 minutes piece Ooh, that's controversial. I, I thought you were going to say better than the other recent things that we've seen. Um, I mean, it, it was, but... But it was concise, right? I, yeah. I didn't expect it. Apart from the bit from, you know, the beginning with Tucker and the end where he just introduces and does an outro, there wasn't much of him. Um, it was no. a lot of yeah. really great people talking about the subject, Michio Kaku. Um, you, you know, we had Brandon Fugal kind of showed up, um, even an interview with uh, Chad Underwood, who filmed the Tic Tac video. Um, and they, also Nick Pope, Tom Rogan, and yes. John Greenwald all in there as well, straight off the bat. And can I just say, I'm not always the biggest fan of, you know, how, how John appears in TV shows and whether that sounds to him or the way that the stuff is edited, you, you know by the by but greenwald was excellent in this i i thought he put up a really good case and he had paperwork to back up everything he was saying and he he said something that everyone needs to understand and that is that you can prove the cover-up really easily we've got the paperwork to do that it's the information behind the cover-up that we don't know just um to get the professional jealousy out of the way for anyone who sees john greenwald's setup of four monitors a lovely pc and that lovely desk, that is not how I record or Dan records. So if you want to support the podcast via Patreon or Apple or however you can, that would be much appreciated because I was incredibly jealous of his lovely setup he's got there. I imagine one of those screens is just, you know, the FOIA submission website at all yeah, times. Absolutely. It was it was pretty cool and he does a, a lot of hard work. Um to talk through the basics of the of the piece then, like they, they crammed a lot in, and the reason I say in some ways it was better than a sixty minutes piece is it was it was pretty quick and snappy. It was talking head, bang, bang, bang. Um, definitely for the social media, Twitch, Twitter generation, like not huge, big, massive, drawn out pieces. It was lots of information thrown at you really fast. Like and, you know, if you watch like a, a an hour or hour and a half long documentary, but you're trying to make notes on it and you're you're constantly scribbling stuff down. This was almost like an ideal shortened down version of something that could be much bigger. 
and it just hit the points. And for me, it was it was a really good. I think you said it, Dan. Like it was kind of UFO one hundred and one, but it hit all the right notes. It had a really good. I've talked about tone before to it. Um, it seemed like a short, you know, serious piece, and Tucker wasn't really in it. It hit the the cover up UFOs. It hit um, Chicago O'Hare two thousand and six. I really wish there was evidence for that. You know footage or videos especially with it being 2006 i imagine they have some some radar data classified and there must be stuff they pulled from that event probably that that was the first moment for me in the documentary i was like holy crap we're only like four minutes into this thing of 20 minutes and we're already past the you know the aguadilla the omaha and we're on o'hare and we're blasting past it to other stuff it was it was hitting all the points pretty quick, um, and again, even before that, Dan, the Tucker got the point in a, in a voiceover of pushing the fact that these objects are operating in the ocean, and talked about the missile tests off of Puerto Rico, um, with missile test missiles being pulled under, and that was something Lou Elizondo talked about on his interview with Terry Verts, the astronaut. If you haven't checked that out, you'll have seen a load of Lou Elizondo interviews please go and check that one out because it's an astronaut who Lou has a lot of respect for and isn't massively into the UFO subject, asking really general questions about it and being genuinely curious about the subject. And and Lou shares a lot of really cool stuff and analogies and stories with him as well. Um, and, and military witnesses witnessed a huge underwater mass coming up almost like an island underwater, like a big black disc, and and sucking these missiles down into the water where the divers who recovered these shells were like, get us out of here. Um, that that would have been terrifying, absolutely terrifying. I mean, I, I've never heard Mick West talk about that story, but what, what I mean, we does he think it's a magnetic whale? What, what's going on there, you know? Or wouldn't he touch it because there's no data? There's no grainy video. And do you know what? You've, you would have to say, Dan, to be devil's advocate, well, we don't know there's no video. We assume there's no video. Um, but if... If there's not, then, you know, they, they could have just been in the moment. They were scared. It could have been a school of whales coming up, however unlikely that may be. Um, or a pod of whales. Is it a school or a pod? School of fish, pod of whales. Yeah. That's yeah, it. I think so. Um, <laughs> and uh, but there you go. There's some, you know, fish stuff for you. Um, but yeah, it's it's a pretty cool little event that Lou talked about. And straight away, bang, they're smashing it out on, on here. Um, O'Hare, Underwood tells a little story of how he named the Tic Tac based off of hearing uh, was it the movie airplane he was talking about airplane yeah there's uh there's a craft in that described as a tylenol um yeah. and he just realized that he'd be you know dating himself uh people might not get it so he went with tic tac yep and look what's happened and what's been spawned after that um th- there were a few images flashed up within the show and this caused a little bit of controversy I've seen online um where some some known fakes were used, either photographs or videos. And this was kind of addressed. I asked Lou Elizondo for a statement on this back in, it would have been February or March now, I think, or maybe even April, where he'd appeared on on Fox, I believe, in a few segments. And it made, immediately the, the accompanying video package with Lou Elizondo was... Um, a load of fakes or drones or CGI. You know, I think Dan, one of them was that UFO app on yeah, Apple that's phones. Right. Yeah. And I asked Lou for a statement on that. Just was that frustrating? And Lou said, yeah, it was because it's it's a lack of due diligence and research. But I suppose you have to remember that these video packages, packages are being 
pulled together by people who aren't necessarily interested in the subject and they're being told go and get some ufo footage so they're googling it they're going on twitter they're going on youtube and they just pull stuff together and sling it in a video package they don't care about the credibility or genuine genuineness of, of any footage or, or evidence necessarily so it's one of those things for now i think we just have to give it a pass and and hope that changes as we kind of move forward in the conversation um Robert Salas turns up as well, uh, discussing nuclear missile silos. And again, that's a short, snappy couple of minutes that the these objects have turned these things off and they've basically not had control of nuclear weapons for up to 24 hours sometimes. Nothing that we didn't already know. But I think overall, this is a really good piece for people watching this who maybe have had a passing interest in the subject or maybe fell out of love with it. And it might pull them back in a little bit because it was short and snappy enough to go. Do you know what? Let's look into this a bit more. Yeah, I'd agree with that. Um, I was, I was pleasantly surprised by it. You know, the, the end of it basically said, well, the burdens of proof is now on the military to prove they're not extraterrestrial. I believe that was Michio, uh, Michio's words. Um, and why have they, why have the government lied about it for so long? You know, both very pertinent questions and both questions that all of us will kind of get the answers to in the coming years. Hopefully. And it finished off, I have to mention, it also finished off with a, a piece on uh, Skinwalker Ranch. So it, it really did cover the ground in, yeah. in 24 minutes, a really concise piece. Um, showed Brandon and his brother and talked uh, again about the events that have happened over the years. And, well, Brandon mentioned millennia at Skinwalker Ranch, going really back into the history of the area. Um, do yeah, you think that was, that was Skinwalker was represented? Too. Yeah, do you think that was represented well, Dan, in that short time? Yeah, I mean, th- this is the issue with short stuff. You, you know, there's always more to dive into. But in terms of going, hey, look, look are all these intriguing different aspects yeah. you can uh, dig into. Um the show did a great job in in terms of setting that up for people and you could almost pick and choose what you were more interested in and follow the the rabbit hole so to speak yeah i would definitely recommend people check it out it's it's not going to be something that shows that you you're going to learn anything new especially if you're listening to this podcast and you that's not to big us up but i just think if you're listening to this you're you're probably well versed in the subject and if you're not you'll have heard bits of this i just think it's worth anyone just catching up on it because it could be a really good piece to share with friends and family um, or anyone who may have a passing interest in the subject to just go, look, have a watch at this, Um, because it covers a lot of ground. And I've got to be honest, I think it covered it well. So fair play, props to Tucker Carlson and his originals. Um, Next up, uh, I suppose one of the the bigger news stories from this week as well was the Anjali press conference. Dan, this caused a lot of controversy reaction online. Um, <laughs> yeah, just a little bit. Um, I genuinely, I put online, and I think some people thought I was joking that I had missed it because I was busy. I was in the cinema watching the Paw Patrol movie with my little boy at the the exact time it was on. And um, good movie, by the way. Um, but <laughs> I, I saw the reactions very quickly online, and I saw people um, commented on the thread, and it seemed very divisive as to what they thought about it i'm not going to lie i think i said beforehand to a few people when they asked me my my honest opinions that and this i've said before and i I can't be a hypocrite that if you are an experiencer uh 
that has had any sort of experience, including myself, who has a couple of sightings. I, I still wouldn't call myself an experiencer, just with the intensity of the events. Um, I think it has to be a certain level to, to do that. Um, there, there's ways and means to do this, and I just still don't think in retrospect this had the the outcome that they would have hoped for. It just seemed it seemed a little odd watching it. Um, the presentation, it just seemed like, and this isn't to downplay the message or the potential gravity of what was being talked about. I appreciate some people really, really respected that. And of course, you have to respect her for coming out and from the position that she has held as a, an intelligence officer and potentially has had access to information that, that has led her, led her to these conclusions. And if we take it at face value that she's not you know, making this up, then it's a very brave thing that she's done. Um, but it still doesn't look like a great presentation and setup. And when it looks so amateurish, and she she seemed nervous. Am I am I wrong, Dan, on that? That the way she was talking, it was. And she's not a public speaker. That's that's fine. But I don't know. So I will say that for me, she looked like someone acting nervous. The the you think so. Uh, it reminded me of can can you remember Gulf of Silence uh, by mm-hmm. M.K. Rhodes? Uh, I really like that film. If you haven't seen that film, it, it's just a performance piece, very kind of bare bones. Was made during lockdown, but it's about <clears throat> um, a woman who tells a story of being on the inside of the kind of UFO cover up and is kind of spilling the beans. Um, but it really reminded me of that of of being a performance piece. Um, whether it is or not, I don't know. Um, I would also say that usually people do press conferences after they get their results. Um, as, as much as I'm up for, you know, telling people what you're going to be doing. That's um, a good point. I, I remember when uh, there was all the hoo-ha over life being found on Venus. And those guys had peer-reviewed papers and, you know, they came out with data and results and things like that. And the conversation is still ongoing to unpack what exactly, you know, they, they found and whether it does confirm life. Here we have someone who's made bigger claims with absolutely zero data and has done it before they've gone to, you know, try and gather the data. Um, yeah, I, I would just do the press conference at the other end. But I, I'm open to looking at data that she brings forward. Um, I just won't let it occupy much of my thought space until that moment. And it's a pretty big claim, Dan, like you say, that, you know, basically I, for those who haven't still potentially seen this, um, former intelligence officer, her, her name is Anne, am I correct, is her actual name, and Jali is the Twitter handle? Yes, I think so. Um, and it's Anne Jali on Gaia, if you're following on Twitter, um, has basically claimed in the past and still in this press conference that she is aware of other entities that she's in contact with. And there is a a mountain base for extraterrestrial entities in the Mojave Desert that she plans on taking a a private group to. That's fine. But could that have been announced in a different way, even just on Twitter, Um, not in a dramatic way outside the the Washington Monument? Am I correct? Um, Yeah, that's right. And Yeah, I mean, could, could she have just done that at home? if she wanted to be on video to do it or announced it on a, a big platform or you Jimmy Trump. Then it doesn't feel official, right? 
If, if you're in front of a big wavy flag in a big important building, it makes it look really official. I think that's what they were going for. But do you think this looked official? No, but, you know. And also, <laughs> can, can I just make the point that any video of this I've managed to find and grab looks like it was just being filmed by someone who had turned up to watch it still. There's not exactly, even what seems to be the official videos don't look all that official and are relatively poor quality. There's a there's a trailer they put up, didn't they? And they said that they'd filmed it and would turn it into a documentary. Well, but yeah, this, I, this I, is I, also it, that it's potentially a piece that's getting added into something down the line. Again, I just can't help but feel this could have been done a whole lot better because, again, just my opinion, not telling people what to think, this just sets things... It, it doesn't set anything back. That's the wrong language. It looks like what you would think a stereotypical UFO press conference or admission or would look like from for people who don't have a vested interest and laugh at this subject. I don't think this helped or progressed anything. And it could have been done in a much better and more subtle way. I, I, w- I would put a little asterisk there and say it could have been done in a much better or subtle way if it's true. Again, yes. we don't have data. So and I hope it is. I really I, I hope I hope it is true. I hope again this is a woman who has a family and children and um a life the as well as this and it's clearly something that's affected her. Um I really hope it is true and I hope even if an element of this is true it would be incredibly fascinating. I'm just reserving judgment on until okay hopefully we can see some some hard data or hard evidence on on this because so far again it's that let's keep going back to sean cahill and the room 101 special it's that one one source of evidence someone's came out and said here's a fact that's that's it right now it's just a story my sighting's just a story dan you do some ce5 or hic whatever you want to call it just a story (laughs) it's a great plan (laughs) yeah and that's that's a frustration for me. It really is. Some thoughts of people on online when I asked about it. Um, Trevor said that um, he's always sceptical of things like this, but is intrigued. She just has to come up with the evidence now. One thing that was refreshing is she didn't seem to bash other people's narratives or what have you. Not holding his breath. We'll check back in a few months. Um, I Am The Walrus said I didn't watch a lot of it. She was a, a lady um, talking about her super advanced space alien friends. Fair enough. Um, Frank from UFO Thinker Podcast. I'm sceptical but intrigued. She certainly comes across as sincere and open. The whole story currently requires a massive leap of faith. Until there's some evidence, it's just a cool story. Um, Let's just see what unfolds. Rebecca said it was compelling. People should watch it. Um, Quantum Witch uh, said, out of curiosity, um, I had all the classic parts and experience I would talk about. But even with the message for mankind, in air quotes, there was nothing mind-blowing. Um, again, a few other people tried watching, fell asleep. Um, post-disclosure world, uh, Ryan, UFO Jesus, didn't watch it, no intention to. Those are his thoughts. So, yeah, really, really split. Some people appreciative of the message or the attempt and others a bit wary. Some people just not not having it at all. So. It's it's one of those let's watch this space and and hope for some some movement forward within this. I don't see a whole lot of support for her from other people that I would I would look to to 
maybe on a similar level that would make those kinds of big announcements or or maybe tag along and get involved with that as well. I've I've not seen a whole lot of outpouring for something as as wild as she's claiming. No, not not really. But yeah, we'll we'll keep an eye on that one and hopefully we'll at least hear some more about it. Um, next up, Dan, I'll let you take the reins. Uh, there was uh, some stuff posted on online for the AIAA. Am I saying that correct? There was, and you are. Um, the American Institute of Aeronautics and Astronautics. Uh, they held their 2021 conference uh, last week, and they had a special session. Um, and it's a big deal that they had this session um, on UAP. Uh, called Advocating for the Scientific Study of Unidentified Aerial Phenomena, Technical Perspectives with a Focus on Aviation Safety. So they had several presenters, um, some guys from NASA. Uh, We had people from the SCU, from NARCAP, and from the European Space Agency. Um, And all of them presented very serious, fantastic looks into different facets of the UAP phenomena. Um, I won't go into detail about all of the talks, but I put a playlist together um, that you can find on my Twitter of all the talks in order. Kind of makes it nice and easy for you. Um, But Christopher Plain at the debrief wrote two really great articles to kind of look at them. But the second of which he kind of just says the big five points, big five takeaways from him um, of this conference. So I thought I'd just run through those. Um, the first one is that the IA, sorry, the AIAA, <laughs> um, UAPs are real and a legitimate safety issue. So, you know, we're, we're past UAPs are real now. We're, we're starting to talk about ways to make our commercial aircraft safe against those things. Number two, the stigma. Oh, Dan, are... Dan, sorry. Go on. Okay. Just, just on that, speculative. Do you think we have ever had a legitimate lost aircraft and i mean civilian a commercial airliner that has gone missing or crashed because of one of these things but we've never had that released um i grew up with the x-files and there were a few episodes of that kind of story and there have been some inklings over the years that maybe the those guys knew a little bit more or were talking to people that would drip feed them information um so based on that and you know various other bits of literature that i've kind of read i'd say probably okay thanks (laughs) just curious point number two you mean you make my statement sound very definitive now (laughs) (laughs) i'm getting that posted on a a (laughs) t-shirt no it won't Uh, yeah (laughs) go on uh yeah so number two uh, the stigma around the subject still does exist but it is starting to change Number three, without more and better data, there can be no progress. Number four, scientists are the ones that need to rise to this challenge. That's an important point, I think, because a lot of scientists come into this subject expecting all of this data to be laid on the table for them. And sure, we, we have you, you know some evidence that points to certain things, but this is a point that, that alludes to what Avi Loeb is doing with the Galileo project. He's going screw your data i'm going to get my own data great cool that's public data it's unclassified he can share it he can share it with the scientific community that's the way to do it you know and then chris's fifth point was just that one voice rose above them all and that was uh u.s pilot ryan graves who was involved in the east coast encounters graves specified signature management as interesting um that is the the 
the crafts they were encountering seemed to be able to manage their signature in various different ways, whether that was dropping really quickly when they flew close to them to kind of get a, a look at them or doing other things to make them appear to be other things. Um, he said that the craft were difficult to see up close, even when their helmets and the systems guided them and highlighted the target in the air. They were still really difficult to, to even visually pick up. He specified that a lot of people went out to see them. So the video and the reports that we have are really just one story in uh, amongst, you know, probably because how many people are on on one of those ships we're talking hundreds right probably yeah probably thousand i mean sean cahill gary Voorhees would be good guys to ask but yeah i'm sure like collectively with the ships that were out there you're well over a couple of thousand so i mean yeah so that's a very loaded statement a lot of people went out to see them and we know that those systems are all plugged into the ships and they could have seen everything that the pilots were seeing so that's a lot of witnesses um he said that they would move when you got close, they avoided contact. Um, and he said it was really dangerous to do a clean pass because you'd kind of be trying to fly by them and then they do something unexpectedly. So you weren't planning for it. Um, he said he's surprised that there has been no, uh, collision already. Um, and the fact that we're talking about access to, uh, signals data, when this is a very real phenomenon that's out there and they can go gather their own data on is uh is disturbing to graves he he feels like we're kind of past that point we we talked recently dan about um like a fly and how when you try to swat a fly no matter how often you think you've got it 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 moves and you see like potentially from a fly's point of view you see your hand moving really quickly but the fly sees and senses it coming much much slower towards you and you wonder do these some of these objects especially the tic tacs if they're unmanned is it some kind of proximity alarm or alert i believe some of the wording i've seen um on these that it just once you get into a certain airspace it's it's triggered into maneuvering and obviously it can do that very quickly so you can almost be touching it and then it can just be gone and you, you just can't get it yeah absolutely um they, there was a really good article sorry the the author name escapes me bob something um liberationtimes.com there was a really good article about signature management and basically talking about exactly what you just brought up the fact that there would be a, a vicinity around the craft that as soon as it's tripped the craft kind of go to avoid um and certainly the the flicker rate is what we call it when a kind of we talk about how a fly kind of experiences the world. They have a, a much higher flicker rate than us, so they can kind of see things uh, slower and react to them. Um, but it makes you wonder because you could play with that, right? And you could try and figure out where that line is and do different things and say, okay, if I zap it with my radar from this far away, does it react the same as if I fly near it or something? Um, and it would come up with tangible ways that we could study these things without making them fly off to 80,000 feet in one point or what that, was it that, 0, um, 0.27 seconds something like that yeah that that article on liberation times was uh, by bob pliskin bob pliskin that's it who was a former intelligence analyst in the marine corps so check that out at liberationtimes.com it's on the home page if you if you want to see a little bit more of what dan's talking about So, yeah, it was all electrical failure, talking about FAA collecting data with sphere cases, talking about the fact that it is a worldwide phenomena. Um, and that's kind of everything was wrapped up in that. But it's a really big deal that that 
the AIAA uh, is talking about this seriously. Because in years gone by, it probably wouldn't have even been on the table. Yeah. And then just as the last thing, last night, Avi Loeb uh, went on, I'm going to have trouble saying Max's surname, Max Moskowitz. I think that's a good attempt, yeah. Cool. Uh, He went on his channel for a conversation um, and they got talking about Elon Musk and Avi Loeb actually kind of threw down a challenge to Elon Musk um, when Max asked about Elon's comments dismissing the notion that E.T. is on Earth. Um, And Avi Loeb, as you would probably expect him to do, basically said, well, then I have a challenge for you. Fund us fund us and we'll prove you right and then you can go around and say well you know i i paid for it and we looked and there was nothing there or if you do find something then you that's your accomplishment so i would second that uh elon if by some miracle chance you are listening to to my welsh tones right now please fund avi loeb and project galileo do you think elon musk has that will or intent to listen to us or to f- <laughs> no i'm kidding i mean i'm um, sure he's a big fan yeah he's on the patreon <laughs> and on the discord chat regularly yeah you know i think somewhere deep down he does but there's just this straight face he puts on because he seems when he talks about the way there's certain numbers come up when he's building these rockets with his team he certainly seems to think there's some weirdness to the universe so i'd be very surprised if in private circles he wasn't a bit more open-minded dan that should be all for this week but there was one thing i forgot to mention to you before the show about talking about it's only a little thing um it's quite a big thing actually but there's not a whole lot i don't think we can discuss about it but i just want your opinion um bill nelson NASA director uh, was briefed this week on UAP and just to remind folks that Bill Nelson was already read into um, UAP briefings before he joined NASA which was one of the the kind of big pluses for me of Bill Nelson taking over the role that he has within NASA that he he has an idea already of what's going on at the governmental level and beyond so he has an interest in, in that subject straight off the bat So it's not as if this is the NASA director being read into UAPs. This is him getting an update on UAPs, which I find pretty interesting. Dan, how how do you feel when you see NASA being kept in the loop in this? Uh, Great. I mean, I think we spoke about this before, that classified programs don't really have a public outreach arm, whereas NASA's kind of whole remit is to talk to the public about space. And if this kind of work is going to go on, NASA is a great place for that to happen. Those guys are passionate. You, you know, they search the cosmos for all sorts, and I'm sure they'd be stoked to find that ET was here already. Um, I'd love to see their expertise applied, and the way to do that is to keep briefing those guys. I, I wonder as well, because we're due in 34 days, is roughly the end of the countdown when um, the UAPTF will give a update to Congress. Um, that's but like I think three months. Three months yeah, yeah, that's right. But I think it's clear based on the fact that we have that new bill that just came through um, to kind of permanently fund the UAP task force um, and this briefing happening now. I I think these briefings are ongoing. I don't think there's going to be a countdown to, you know, one kind of Uber update. I think this is just an ongoing thing now when we're in it. Um, But I would like to bring up the fact that it's been 702 days since Susan Goh undermined the FOIA process. 
um, by taking control of it and making all departments report to her and have let her have final say. How do things change, Dan? So you've got NASA, who, like you say, looks out to the cosmos, and I suppose for many, and especially the general public, would always think that if we are going to find ET, um, that it will be through NASA or some kind of NASA announcement or NASA-funded program, etc., etc. But more and more, we're hearing that some of these objects more immediately or in the vicinity might be under the water. Does that threaten NASA at all, that if we say the Galileo project managed to get that really clear footage of these objects hitting into the water. Do we suddenly change our focus to exploring the oceans and in the same way we have a space station? Do we suddenly have a massive station underwater? Like, you know, like the abyss where you start to look for these things in a much more scientific and heavy way. Like, and even, even then if again, we got some kind of really good proof that these objects were in the ocean, that Elon Musk, you know, Richard Branson, Jeff Bezos, they suddenly turn their attentions away from going up and start looking at how they can go down and how deep they can go. And do they go looking for some of these things themselves? The last thing we need is for billionaires to know where the underwater bases for the visitors are. They'll, they'll, we've already put up with them barely becoming astronauts. We'll have videos of them running up to their door so, and knocking yeah, and running yeah. away. For, forget the billionaires <laughs> then, forget the billionaires, but those guys could throw some serious money at this. So just people in general, investors who could fund scientific and academic programs, because you would imagine, let's just use the Galileo project being the, the biggest and one in the news right now. Um, hopefully more spring up and they all get good investment. But say they manage to find something going going under the water, you would imagine they would be well-placed to suddenly shift that academic focus. I uh, Unfortunately, probably renders some of those telescopes Abby's looking to buy less useful. But the idea being that how can we now get into the ocean? They are going under the water, just for talking sake, round Catalina somewhere, because that's where we know the Tic Tacs went. So they start firing off. UAPX is focusing in that direction as well. Do we start basically trying to get under the water to try and find these things? Well, I mean, yes, is the is the short answer. Um, but NASA wouldn't be completely defunct in, in that kind of situation anyway, because they do have a lot of systems that point back at Earth and they track things like the weather and they work in conjunction with other departments to kind of feed them data. Um from the satellites that are kind of NASA's domain. So, you know, they, they will be able to help with something like that, but you're right. We, we'd have to start looking at what is, I think it's their NOAA. They kind of look under the ocean and there's a lot of kind of secrecy about exactly how they, and I'm kind of doing apostrophes here, but you guys can't see me, um, (laughs) how they see under the ocean. Um, probably because they track submarines for foreign adversary submarines yeah. and things like that. Um, so there's kind of a major shift that would have to happen, you know, for, for that to start being explored properly in that way as well. But over the past few years, thanks to the wonderful James Cameron, there have been a lot of advancements in underwater exploring. You know, he did the people probably know that he did the Titanic thing, but there have been a lot more after that that make exploring under the ocean a lot easier and a lot more people are going than ever or every year now. Um, and it's really impressive. And these things don't look like submarines. They kind of look like walking cupboards with the portals on top. Um, <clears throat> but the research is being done and it would go to people like that. 
um, it would be interesting to see something like the abyss being made um, as in the underwater station, but it also kind of terrifies me a little bit. Can I end on a really speculative story? And this is true. Go for it. It's true in the sense that the story was told to me when I was younger as a child, okay? So my my mum, for a short time, um, when I was a kid, dated a guy who was a operator, sonar operator on a nuclear submarine. Obviously, be living in Scotland, you have Fastlane, which is where a lot of the nuclear submarines are are based, um, very controversially, of course, but that's that's where they are. And I remember one night... He told me, I asked him, having an interest at that age in UFOs and aliens and mysteries and Loch Ness, I've talked about all that stuff. Um, Could he tell me any cool stories? And he said, well, obviously you've got like the Secrets Act and all that kind of stuff. I was like, yeah, but there must be something like interesting stuff happens. And he was like, yeah, there was a few things. And he told me one story about once they came up in Florida, they'd been kind of, he said they used to get bumped sometimes off of like whales and things like that. Not the country, as you know, the the animal. Um, and they um, would be fine. It just happened now and again. But one time they came up in Florida and this huge claw was in the in the side or like stuck on the, the submarine and it was taken away by the military and stuff which it could have just been a story, but it was quite interesting. However, he did say there were, there was one occasion where really, really deep down in the water, as, about as deep as the submarines would go, they were out in the middle of wherever they were. Bear in mind, folks, this was 20 years ago, I was told this now, more than that, actually. Um, and on the side of the submarine, from outside, something was tapping in, like a, a number sequence, just from the outside of the submarine, and they could they could work out from the Morse code that it was like, did-did-did-did-did-did-did, but on just outside of the hull, deep down in the ocean, nothing on nothing on their stuff. And he said, yeah, they had weird incidents like that on the submarine. I've always kept that with me and hoping that was that was definitely true. I can I can deal with like shadow people, you know, being in my room maybe or ET showing up, but I'm not gonna sleep tonight after that story. <laughs> yeah. It's pretty cool though, isn't it? Can you imagine down there something being like, how do we communicate? Tap some numbers, like prime numbers, tap a sequence onto the side of the side of the boat submarine but yeah dan thanks for joining me thank you that that sorry that story's repeating on me i enjoyed it yeah more, more tales from the crypt next week <laughs> and uh again folks lots of shows coming up over the next couple of weeks thanks for all the great feedback on the from the archive series posting some of the much older shows uh, to a much bigger and newer audience than than was available back in the early days of the podcast as well so it's good to get some of those out there for folks to listen to more and more dan is helping me out getting stuff uploaded to the youtube channel as well where we have accompanying video we're getting that on there and thanks to everyone supporting zencaster and manscape our two uh, sponsors as well if you find you have any use for those and it does make a difference to us if you can support the podcast through those sponsors as well but as always folks great speaking to you and plenty of shows coming up in the near future speak to you soon that is all for this week's show thank you very much for listening please remember to leave the podcast a review on your chosen platform you can like retweet and subscribe that would all be very much appreciated the shows are being uploaded onto youtube as we speak more and more you can sign up at patreon.com forward slash that ufo podcast to access the shows ad free as well please get in touch on twitter facebook instagram that ufo podcast of course, on Twitter, it's at UFO, UAPAM. And again, folks, as always, keep looking up. You never know what you might see. It wasn't a tic-tac and not quite a saucer, more like a hubcap designed by John.
steam and like Alice was playing bass for the Parliament of Fuck. The little fucker hovered right outside of my window and when I shoved out the screen he made it an issue. I don't think he expected me to see his ass, but I'd had some champagne and smoked a little more Meditative game of state full on meta. I can't imagine how it could have been any better. I got to the top of the stairs and there he was. Like you awake? I was about to abduct you, cuz. Thank you.